All right, welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that consists of more riled up dirt bags than a West Detroit skating rink. I am Jared Stormer of MazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazingBrew.com. Andy, you commonly misunderstood Northern Jungle Cat. How you doing, brother? Doing great, man. It's your last podcast stateside. How you feeling about this? Man, getting nervous. Uh, taking off tomorrow. This next time you hear me, I shall be uh, sending you my dulcet tones from the Southern Hemisphere. I'm ready, brother. It's time. Man, it's... It's bittersweet. It's going to be weird coordinating time zones, but you know, you are a leader of men, as I often refer to you. So I have no doubt we'll get it done and keep this content coming from the sunny shores of Argentina. It's going to take a little bit more than a minor time difference to stop us now. We just interviewed Desmond Howard last week, my friend. You think we're going to quit? Think we're going to get bogged down? Not today. No, we're in our prime, sir. We are in our prime right now. Last weekend's interview with Desmond Howard was just I'm still floating thinking of that. Like, I feel bad it's just me and you right now after how high last week was for us. Yeah, I mean, no offense to you, but after the majesty of one Desmond Howard, I mean, it's great to talk to you, but it does lack a little bit of the luster. The man's charisma is unmatched. The man is, a, I mean, a, a hundred on a scale of charisma puts Jack Black at like a 75. Yeah, the only person that could really even compare is Jack Black or Charles Woodson in an ascot. Maybe Jesus in a tuxedo, but that's it. We just refer to that as Tom Brady at the Oscars. Correct. The exact same thing. Um, All right. So uh, college football season is officially (laughs) over, man. And it is a bummer uh, after the least watched national championship game since the uh, college football playoff began. Georgia defeating Alabama. So makes it a little bit better that the team that we lost to and our worst loss of the season was to the eventual national champs. But uh, steady Stetson Bennett, the mailman, as they call them, who Honestly, looks kind of like a lame version of Chris Evans playing some sort of rich villain who's trying to bulldoze a ski town in a movie. But uh, the dude got it done. Not the most impressive performance uh, I've ever seen in a national championship game. But you got to give credit to that dude and and credit to the Georgia team, man. Uh, Kirby Smart's been building a monster and and it finally came to fruition this year. Yeah, that creep stepped up when it mattered most. Stetson, that is, not Kirby. Big fan of Kirby Smart, actually. But yeah, man, it was it was nice to see them end their drought. They hadn't won a championship since 1980, so it's cool to see them avenge the loss and get things back together. And like you said, it's the team that has to win the championship, I'm glad it's the one that beat Michigan, you know? We didn't just lose to some bummy team out here. Right, and, you know, we'll, we'll always have that. And it, it was an unfortunate loss, but uh, good for Georgia. You know, 1980, they've gone even longer than us without a national championship. So, uh, writing that ship, and they still get a couple more years of Stetson Bennett, they're going to return a lot of that team. So, next year, um, expect Georgia, both Georgia and Alabama, probably to be Right back where they were, which is, uh, you know, in the national title conversation next year as well. Man, it must be so hard when you have 25 stars coming to campus every year. Yeah, tough life there in Georgia, but uh, that is the world we live in. And do you think that this was not really highly watched because people are just starting to get a little SEC fatigue? I think that and also just the fact that it was a rematch from two games ago. We've seen this. Not many people cared. And outside of the Southeast, that is, especially Big Ten fans. I didn't watch a second of this game. Yeah, I watched very little of it. Uh, I tuned in when I could. It was kind of just background noise. But yeah, I would have to imagine outside of Georgia and Alabama, this was kind of just like, you know, just it's just a rematch of the SEC championship game. Like you mentioned, that was just a couple weeks ago. So really hard to uh, to get super hyped up about it. But, uh, you know, we had our moment in the sun and and that's fine. So congrats to Georgia. Congrats to Kirby Smart. And hopefully we get another shot at him next year. Uh, Speaking of next year, uh, there's been rumors aplenty. It's been a weird week. Uh, If you're tuning into the media, uh, I recommend staying off of it if you value your sanity and your cholesterol. But uh, Jim Harbaugh potentially coming close to signing an extension that would keep him at Michigan. Uh, We're just hearing kind of some whispers about it right now. What are your thoughts on these rumors, which really heated up with Bruce Feldman and Jay Glazer um, mentioning Jim Harbaugh as a name that was interested in some of these NFL positions? Feldman and Glazer are in the know, so I took them very seriously throughout, and I understood the reasoning behind it. Jim Harbaugh didn't want to recruit with one arm behind his back anymore. He wants NIL standards stepped up at Michigan to help these players out, make it more alluring to them, lower some of the restrictions regarding admissions for transfer players or just players in general. We all remember what happened to Xavier Worthy through admissions. So just certain things like that made a lot of sense. And he wants another shot at the NFL. He was so close to a Super Bowl, and he wants that 
job where you can have organizational control. So John Bacon mentioned this on Twitter as well, which is a always follow the bacon and stated that he, the Raiders would be a perfect opportunity because of his relationship. He would get the control there and thank God they won because I watched that Raiders game on Sunday night or Monday, whenever it was about as close as anyone, about as any close as any Michigan game I watched this season. I mean, I was locked into that one. Good game to be locked in on that Raiders game was absolute insanity. The tie would have sent both of them to the playoffs. Looked like there was going to be a tie in that game. I was sweating that one out as well. That was a wild, wild finish. And yeah, you've got to think, uh, as Bill Simmons calls him, Pit Boss Rich is going to get a go in, uh, in in Las Vegas after what he was able to do, keeping that team afloat. So hopefully that uh, that particular job is off the table. But I wanted to look at some of these jobs because you know there was there was the reports, and like you said, if Glazer and Feldman are saying it, you have to at least pay attention to that. And I wanted to look at these jobs with you and go through them and see who would be a fit for these and if Harbaugh could even be a fit for anyone, assuming Las Vegas does open up. Let's do it. All right. So as of right now, the open jobs are the Denver Broncos, Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, New York Giants opened up today, Chicago Bears, Miami Dolphins, very surprising, that one, uh, Minnesota and Las Vegas, potentially, um, you know, we'll see if they keep the interim coach or not so of those i want to go i want to go in order here let's rank these as most appealing uh to least appealing i can definitely say the least appealing for me is the giants job giants is dead last we're in complete agreement all right so he's not taking that giants job there's no franchise quarterback like there's no obvious pick in this year's draft um i don't know that you'd get organizational control and even if you did it's a it's a long rebuild there so that's the last one um i would maybe say Jaguars next it's it's Jaguars next, next worst I mean you got Trevor Lawrence you... they they have Lawrence they have some pieces there but they're apparently keeping the GM as of right now so there's not going to be that control he'd want a lot of messes to clean up not a deep talented roster so despite having the number one pick and potentially Aiden Hutchinson not desirable yeah, you could have Trevor Lawrence and Aiden Hutchinson, which, you know, from a franchise cornerstone perspective, is hard to get better on both offense and defense than that. That would be exciting. Um, you do have patient ownership there, even though Urban Meyer was gone after one year. Uh, that was his own fault. He was his own undoing there. So he had to be fired. You got the weather. You got Josh Allen on defense. But still, I got that as the second worst gig there. Uh, where do you go next? I mean, you've got, like we said, we got Bears, Minnesota, Broncos, Dolphins, and potentially Vegas. This is really tough. I am going to go with the Bears for right now. They still seem a little lost. I uh, don't know. They got rid of Ryan Pace at GM. Don't really know what they're going to do there. Justin Fields, you're not sure if he's good or not yet. They have some pieces defensively, but they're not the defense they used to be. Not a ton of weapons there, so I'd rank them next. I would as well. Interesting thought about this job on Vegas, uh, the Vegas odds. Pat Fitzgerald currently sits at plus 500 for this job. He has the second best odds uh Jim Harbaugh plus 700 third best odds for this job so uh pretty interesting Vegas Vegas likes the college guys for this one and I could definitely see Pat Fitzgerald being an awesome Bears coach I do kind of like that you and I both love Pat Fitzgerald there's no surprise here by any means we've loved Pat Fitzgerald for as long as we've been doing this podcast and if he got a shot at the NFL I think he'd have success yeah, I'm with you. And I also agree Bears probably next on that list. Then things get a little bit muddled. Minnesota, Dolphins, and Broncos. Um, none of them really have their franchise quarterback. Maybe the Dolphins do. We don't necessarily know that yet. We got to see what he looks like with a few more weapons and definitely with a better offensive line. Um, so I will say the next one may be um, Minnesota, just because you don't really know what you're doing with your quarterback. But Minnesota, stability, good fan base, patient ownership, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, all your draft picks. I mean, that's a pretty good gig as well. So all the top three, I think, Minnesota, Denver, Miami, and Vegas, those are all really good jobs. Yeah, and they so they get a little muddled there, and you can mix them up. Obviously, the Raiders are the most appealing for Harbaugh and where everyone's been hearing the noise because of his relationship with the organization, the Davis family, the control he'd have, and they're a playoff team. Like, how can you turn that down? They've already made it, and we've seen what he can do at the NFL. 
Yep. And like we said, we'll see if Pit Boss Rich is retained there. I'd have to think he at least gets like a two year prove it type of deal here after what he's proven with that team. Um, which job would you want to take? You know, given uh, the situation that they're in currently, which one do you find the most appealing? Man, for me, it would either be the Broncos or the Vikings. I think there's a lot of good pieces on both sides. The Vikings have an outstanding defense, but their ownership and things give me pause. Minnesota got rid of Rick Spielman as GM, whom I did like, but there's just too many good young weapons like Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, as you mentioned. So I'd say either Denver or Minnesota for me. What about you? I think so as well. I would probably go Denver. Denver's uh, drafted pretty well recently. They have their draft capital. They're really just missing a quarterback. I mean, even decent quarterback play this year with, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is barely decent and he was able to give them seven wins. So I think you could do, I think you could turn around Denver pretty quickly. Yeah, and Teddy Bridgewater had a hard time staying healthy to begin with. They had Brett Rippon and Drew Locke taking snaps this season. I honestly thought Vic Fangio kind of got a raw deal, like he was building a lot there. But speaking of Fangio, he's one name that was tied to the Harbaugh rumors as joining him again and reuniting as his defensive coordinator. That'd be a pretty mean staff. I wonder what he'd do with McDonald in that case, though. Why wouldn't you just want to bring Mike McDonald? Leave him to us. Don't speak that out loud. How dare you? <laughs> I want to keep all these guys. I mean, in an ideal world, we're not replacing anybody. But I'm just saying, like, you'd think Mike McDonald maybe earned a shot there. But yeah, that's Harbaugh, Fangio. That's a pretty mean start to, uh, to an NFL staff. I mean, people are going to offer him insane amounts of money like I definitely think that is very real and we also know um, this came from I believe this was from Jay Glazer that he had reached out to assistants like you were mentioning so the fact that he's reached out to assistants definitely means there's uh, there's some smoke there there was and it did give me a little bit of reprieve from the anxiety that Stephen Ross the great Dolphins owner for your stepdad has uh, said he's not going to be the guy to take Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan and it seems like he's kind of helping things out there with his donorship swinging he absolutely better. We will rename the business school, the Rich Eisen School of Business overnight. I will be there. We will be there with like a ladder and and some basic hand tools to remove his name from the school of business if he takes Jim Harbaugh. That is unacceptable. Scott Bell suggested Ted Kaczynski if he takes him, and I'm not far away from it. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite a leap from Rich Eisen to Ted Kaczynski. But look, we have some choices because some good alma mater. The punishment must fit the crime. Was it like Jim Abbott? <laughs> yeah, Jim Abbott. Ted Kaczynski School of Business. Fine. I'm going to I'm going to side with Scott Bell on this one. Um, Got to take a moment here before we go on with these coaching candidates to talk about home field apparel out of Indianapolis makes up the majority of my wardrobe, even though college football season is over. Home field has still got you covered with the largest sportswear selection in the game. Hopefully you're a Michigan fan. If not, figure it out. Get your priorities in order. Homefield's got you covered no matter who you support, though, and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout when you go to homefieldapparel.com. All right, so some of the other candidates that are being tossed around, there are a myriad of them, so it's not like this is some year where it's Jim Harbaugh or bust. You got Leslie Frazier, current Bills defensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, Pat's offensive coordinator. He gets thrown a lot, around a lot. Brian Flores recently fired from the Dolphins head position, which is stunning because he's going to definitely be one of the guys that gets hired, I think. So that's one of the jobs likely wrapped up by Flores. I've heard Lane Kiffin and Ryan Day's name thrown out. You got Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator of the Bucks. Brian Dabble, coordinator for the Bills, offensive. Raheem Morris, Rams D coordinator. And Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Do any of those names strike you as guys you see as head coaches next year, or are there any fits you like, uh, coach and team? Brian Flores, as you stated, really stands out to me, and I can see him taking over a team that just needs like an adult in the room, such as the Bears, a highly coveted job for the prestige it brings, and he could really just come in there and set the tone with that young group. But also, there's guys like Eric Bieniemy must be the worst interview in all of football because his name is always mentioned in all these jobs, and he can never close the deal. He actually is. I heard something about this on one of the Colorado uh, radio stations when I was out there because he was interviewing for the CU job when Tucker left, and apparently, like even then, they were like, eh, "I don't know about this." Like there must be something, like you said, the adult in the room. I'm wondering if he just couldn't be that. 
for a program and people see that. But the fact that he's not a head coach right now is stunning. I agree with you. Sometimes it takes somebody that can just be a CEO and leader of people to put them in positions to succeed and not so much X's and O's. I know the Sean McVay's are in vogue right now, but there's something to be said about the CEO type of head coach. Yes, I agree with you. I also agree with your uh, Brian Flores to the Bears. I really like that as well. Only reason I wouldn't think they would go that way is I think when you have a young quarterback with Justin Fields' skill set, you might want an offensive-minded guy to come in and groom that since you have him in place. Uh, the Broncos would make a lot of sense too, but they just, you know, firing Vic Fangio, do you want to go with another defensive, former defensive coordinator, defensive-minded guy? So I don't know about that. Um, yeah, the enemy, that one's crazy. How about Byron Lefwich to Jacksonville? Former Jacksonville quarterback, one of the most prominent guys in the franchise history. Offensive-minded, you can unlock Trevor Lawrence. I kind of like that one. I love that one, actually. I grew up watching Byron Leftwich play in college here at Marshall, and everything he's done at the NFL level has been outstanding. He's slowly just grew, like, ro- like Rosen, Rosen, I can talk, risen throughout the ranks in the NFL and now working with Brady and everybody and, and learning under the tutelage of Bruce Arian. So I think that's a perfect fit. I think he'd do great things there. Look, no one's going to hold it against you. I mean, you're a man that knows that beer and cough syrup are the only way to do a podcast. I mean, how do you think I've gotten this far in my career? <laughs> everything you do. Uh, I also think Brian Dabble, offensive coordinator for the Bills, definitely getting one of the jobs. Um, and I could see Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, getting one of the jobs too. So I don't think McDaniels will leave. That dude just seems destined to take over when they pry it from Bill Belichick's cold, dead hands. Um, but yeah, I think Flores gets one. Um, I like Frazier and Dabble to get one. And, um, you know, all that is to say, I expect harbaugh to resign and there have been some rumblings that jim harbaugh is working on a current extension that will keep him at michigan we don't know any details we're not reporting anything at this point um you know we're going off the bacon line and the bacon line is that things maybe are trending that way remember last year when he signed his new deal and we were all so pissed we didn't get matt campbell how things can change in a year It's bizarre, man. And there are people and I'm not going to go take hunting and go receipt hunting against these people because, you know, I said last year publicly, I think it might be time to go to Matt Campbell. We weren't beating the table for Campbell. I think we said after the two win campaign, like now would probably be the time to go get Campbell. And then we're like, well, if you bring him back, you bring him back. I think that was kind of the consensus. Um, But now, yeah, you have people being like, do whatever it takes. Rename buildings after him. Like and I, I. totally agree with that sentiment you've got to do what it takes Uh, build a statue i mean you and i have been building statues you know they've been metaphorical statues but we're ready to build one for like jake moody you think we couldn't get one for harbaugh (laughs) we built one for ed wariner and don brown at one point i mean they're coming down but (laughs) sure yeah we we employ a sculptor full time they go up and they go down they rise and fall all right let me ask you a a fun hypothetical Three coaches you want interviewed at Michigan if Harbaugh were to leave. The first coach you interview, Josh Gaddis. I firmly believe that you would have to, kind of like what we just saw with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. You've got J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, Andrell Anthony. You have a young nucleus in place that looks like it could be one of the best Michigan offenses, maybe ever. And you would not want to do anything to jeopardize that. I don't know that Gaddis is ready to lead a program like that. It would be a two-year prove it kind of thing but if you could keep everyone elevate everyone i assume um harb um jay harbaugh would probably go with his dad wherever he went in this situation i would assume but then everybody else just kind of gets elevated i think that would be your first um you would have to call fickle you would have to give him a call i don't think he would do it being the ohio state guy but you'd at least have to give him a call um i'm not a big believer in the make saban say no like things that people always throw out. And I'm like, I hate, I hate that. Like, okay, well, what a waste of a phone call. Maybe just save your breath. Um, so how about like, how about you go NFB big game hunting? <laughs> Maybe you go for like a Brian Flores or you go for one of these NFL guys or something like that. Um, so yeah, I'll say uh, Josh Gaddis, Luke Fickle. And then my third one will be, I'll go Brian Flores. What about you? Give me three. All right, I like those, and I'm going to take this just a few different directions. Our number one is the same. It's Josh Gaddis. You keep the boat afloat. You move some assistants around, bring in some new ones that that don't stay if you have to fill voids, but Josh Gaddis is the answer. He's number one. Just don't break it up. Fickle, I'm also there, but for the sake of variety, I'm just going to throw out some names. Just going to put them out there, you know, 
in the podcast sphere. Oh, maybe it's time you put in a call to Dabo Sweeney. Maybe it's time Dabo leaves Clemson because of the offensive and defensive coordinators both parting, almost like a move of Brian Kelly to LSU, something similar. Uh, if you told me before this season, I never thought that was a possibility. And so maybe he can come there. You know he can recruit. So there's there's a name. And I'm going to give you one more just because I've always liked him. He's proven it now over and over again that he can win. With this offense in mind, you bring in Lane Kiffin. I like it. I like the Lane Kiffin one. I mean, that would be a circus. Um, he has a little bit FU attitude that you and I can respect. Uh, he would bring some swagger to the job, like early Harbaugh, but maybe like on steroids when you get Lane Kiffin in there. So I could be super into that. Uh, I like it. I like it. I, I wouldn't be as big into Dabo Sweeney, I don't think. Um, but I would prefer to go with Lane Kiffin in that instance. Lane Kiffin with J.J. McCarthy. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. What were we talking about before we started recording that we have to break the single season passing touchdown records at Michigan. It's 25. If Lane Kiffin, the moment he steps on campus, it records broken. (laughs) I'm telling you, he'd do it in three games. That is the most anemic record that Michigan has right now. It is still 25 pass touchdowns. What did Burrow have? In his Heisman campaign season, what was it, 60? Yeah, it was like 63 or 66. Almost tripled it. Preposterous. Yeah, we got to find a way to beat that. We would certainly be able to do that with Lane Kiffin. Um, here's here's just food for thought on this one. Would you consider elevating McDonald over Gaddis? I know that's that's a bit, it's a bit much, but is there any world where you even dis- discuss that? No, there's no world just because this team has a ton of offensive guys coming back. It's been one year of Mike McDonald there. It's not proven. Hey, that could have happened in 2016 after Don Brown's one year and we saw what happened. We've seen Gaddis for three years just get better. Well handled, well handled. I totally agree. I just wanted to see your thoughts on it. Uh, But yeah, if you brought back everybody, um, that would be a young, young coaching staff. Head coach Josh Gaddis, I think he's still in his 30s. McDonald's still in his 30s. That would be that'd be young. It'd be exciting. Um, I think maybe that would be potentially an even better recruiting team. That'd be interesting to see. But uh, hopefully this is a moot point and Harbaugh signs some type of extension. I imagine if he is, it's going to be uh, upward of ten million dollars per year. I mean, guaranteed he's going to be making at least what Tucker and Franklin are making. You can't overpay Jim Harbaugh. He just proved that he made us all eat our words. He took a prove it deal, shoved it in all of our stupid faces. You can't overpay him. Preach, sir. You are in church. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to grade out the position groups this year. And we're going to talk about one of my current favorite players uh, in the NBA and a former Michigan great, Franz Wagner. Talk about that and more when we get back. Welcome back to Out of the Blue, second half of this podcast. We need to fix the Wolverines. There's been, not that we need fixing, I mean, this is a playoff team, but there is a great deal of departures uh, since we last spoke. I believe, I mean, we knew it was happening, but Dax Hill and David Ojabo have uh, announced they are going to the NFL. But in two more surprising moves, Vincent Gray and Chris Hinton will also be going to the NFL. Add that to Hassan Haskins, Josh Ross. Brad Hawkins. So there are a ton of starter minutes and a lot of production that we need to replace next year. So uh, for this exercise, we're going to do our best to see how this production gets replaced in 2022. What position do you want to start with here, sir? I'm thinking we start with the safeties. Start from the back end, work our way up. I like it. Uh, As we lose both of them, this is a pretty important one, but it's a room you and I feel pretty good about. Very comfortable this room because I got a ton of guys with experience back there, even dating back to 2020 with Macari Page. But let's just go ahead and put in that the two starting safeties with just a two safety look will be Rod Moore and they will be RJ Moten. I think you're right. And the production that we're trying to replace here is 129 total tackles between Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins. Uh, Dax Hill was 69, eight passes defense, two interceptions, um, and then four passes defensed and two forced fumbles for Brad Hawkins. He actually led the team in force. Oh, actually behind Ojabo, excuse me, led the secondary in forced fumbles. I agree with the two names there. I think that it's Rod Moore, RJ Moten. That is an extremely young safety group there. Uh, RJ Moten, will he be a redshirt sophomore next year then? So basically a, a third year. 
a third year player, but it only counts as a second year because of everyone gets the extra eligibility from COVID. Right. So yeah, it'll be more, it'll be RJ Moten. RJ Moten fell out of favor a little bit as the season went along and he was getting his minutes taken by Rod Moore. So I, something like that could very much happen again where somebody makes a leap. Um, I've always been a big Jordan Morant fan. I'm still in his camp. Would like to see what he could do. And we are both, both high on Zeke Barry. So I see this as Rod Moore and Moten to start. Um, maybe you move Macari page around a little bit. We'll talk about the cornerback position. He maybe could be a good boundary corner with his size, uh, but expect Keon Sab and Zeke Barry, particularly Zeke Barry to get run this year. I would not be surprised to see a rod Moore esque emergence from Zeke Barry. That's our dude. Yeah. And despite the youth in this room, like you alluded to, we feel very comfortable with this because how Rod Moore stepped into the role and he's a very cerebral player, understands the game and it could happen again by a freshman. I mean, McDonald has shown the ability to play younger players and we'll get to more of them later, but let's piggyback off your Macari page point and go to the cornerbacks. Vincent Gray departed, so that leaves one starting position open. DJ Turner is cornerback number one. So who do you think cornerback number two is next year for the Wolverines? Yeah, Vincent Gray, 46 total tackles, seven passes defensed, one sack. Um, You're absolutely right. DJ Turner is cornerback number one. He was basically playing corner number one uh, late in this season, taking a lot of minutes from Jamon Green, who I believe will be cornerback number two after that if you look at the amount of snaps played and returning production it drops off a cliff after that uh german or german green the brother of Jamon green uh he would be next up along with jalen perry they're kind of right there as far as snaps played um and then yeah we mentioned makari page potentially being a guy that you move over and then the other two names to watch would be Jaden McBurrows and obviously the five-star incoming freshman, Will Johnson. So how do you see this lining up with our top three corners? Um, obviously, DJ Turner being one of them. So I see it being DJ Turner one, uh, Gabon Green two, just with two years of solid experience, some of it starting. And I think three as of right now probably goes to Jalen Perry just for I think he was next on the depth chart I think he carries that experience over Will Johnson could push him a little bit but don't expect Will Johnson to play extensive minutes it's very hard being a freshman corner in college football yes yeah I'm with you as much as we all want to see the the freshman come in and be an instant impact guy that is a position that's extremely difficult to come in and do that Uh, Derek Stingley at LSU that's why that one season where he was a freshman the national championship season still has him as a potentially top top five draft pick because to come in and do that as a freshman shows that you're just one of the best there is. So I agree with you. I think it'll be Perry first, uh, but watch for a move of Macari page over there. And then Jaden McBurrows. I, I don't know why, but I just kind of like what he brings at least physically. So keep an eye on, on him. So yeah, it'll probably be one of those guys, but with Andre Selden and green Warren transferring, this is a room uh, much like the linebacker room we'll discuss here in a minute, that's uh, a little bit on the thinner side. Wouldn't be the worst idea to maybe look for a senior transfer. Yeah, definitely to help just solidify that room with some depth more than we're concerned about the starters. But as we've seen in like last year and years past, that starters can fall either out of favor, get passed up, injuries, a myriad of things can happen to them. So it's always good to just have some assurances. And that's what we're alluding to when we talk about like getting a transfer. It's not because we're desperate for a starter, but we're just desperate to avoid desperation. Yes, <laughs> I like the way you phrase that. I- I'm with you. Um, and similarly, like we said, maybe moving Macari Page. Maybe the other move then is if you like Macari Page or Zeke Barry is really ready to go. Uh, RJ Moten or Rod Moore could potentially move over to corner. Uh, Rod Moore, I'm not... I'm not going to doubt him in any facet of his game. That dude has shown so much as a true freshman three-star recruit that I believe he could come out there and punt and coach the team if he wanted. Yeah, I'm fully prepared to support Rod Moore's eventual gubernatorial domination. Like, I just want him to be the governor someday. So whatever he wants to do, safety, governor, corner, he's got my support. One nation under Rod. I'm with you. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move down the line here uh, at center. This one's pretty easy, so we can just touch on this quickly. Andrew Vastardis out. Ola Sagun, Ola Watami, Ola Watimi, the uh, transfer from Virginia. I don't really think that there's uh, there's much debate here. Now, we stand for Greg Crippen minutes, but I don't see him overtaking uh, the big O here. And then uh, Reese Atterbury will also mix it up there and try and be uh, competing for the number two spot. Yeah, the big O is the starter here. Behind him, I would go Crippen. Atterbury can give some support to guard like he did this previous season. But I feel so great about our interior offensive line. 
yeah, I, I'm not too worried about that. So let's move on. Chris Hinton, a little bit surprising that he declared he must be getting some good feedback from the NFL talent evaluators. He had 32 tackles on the season and one sack. Definitely not a big statistical impact guy, but for those of us that watch the game, he was great this year. Um, really good against the run, solid against the pass, not necessarily a pass rushing threat, which you don't really expect your defensive tackles to be, but he's lean, he's athletic. I think he can play at the next level. He's a former five-star. So we've got to replace Chris Hinton, uh, but Mozzie Smith is coming back. So how do you see this one? This one's a little bit wide open. I would love a transfer here to solidify some of the depth, but it seems like Chris Jenkins, who has some starting experience for Michigan on the interior, will be there, as well as Julius Welshoff played a bunch. Jess Spate played a bunch. So there are names to be mixed in here with some good experience, but no one has really just emerged as the next guy. But gun to my head right now, Chris Jenkins starts alongside Mozzie Smith. Yeah, they really liked Chris Jenkins, uh, both him and Rod Moore, three stars seeing a lot of time. Um, so I would expect him as well to be in the mix. Uh, Julius Welshoff could play in there. That's another name. And, you know, we've recruited this a lot better recently. You mentioned Rayshon Benny. He'll be in the mix. Uh, really high recruited, recruited defensive lineman Mason Grant and Kenneth Grant this year. Uh, Kenneth Grant is a mass of humanity. Um, him, between him and Benny, the defensive tackle position is about to get extremely large at, at large at Michigan. But you're right. This one's wide open. Um, I, I think I'll go with you. I think it'll be Jenkins and Upshaw. I could see Upshaw moving inside. Um, you know, to make room for maybe some more athletic pass rushers on the outside. So, yeah, I, I think you've got it right, though. So Mozzie Smith starting next to one of Chris Jenkins, Taylor Upshaw, probably. Or and let's not forget Derek Moore, the uh, the freshman who won uh, the uh, All-American game. He was the MVP. Yeah, it's. All it come, a lot of it that it comes down to is where these guys are going to play along the line because Don Brown had Aiden Hutchinson like splitting time at D-tackle before they kicked him out. So when they get these guys in the weight room and get them moving around this winter and spring, they're really going to like find their home and where it's going to be because just because they're recruited at defensive end doesn't mean they're going to stick there. So a lot of things to be shuffled out along this defensive line. And while they have some experience in there with no starters, I still feel a lot better about this position than I have in previous years. Yeah, part of that was Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton both taking leaps. If Smith can take another leap next year and be, you know, like maybe a uh, first three rounds kind of NFL prospect and and really improve his draft stock, that's going to work wonders for this defensive line. So I'm not too panicked about it. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of size. We've recruited it fairly well. Just need to see who steps up. And like you said, I wouldn't mind a, a transfer here as well, just for depth. Uh, here's a big one. The next two, uh, actually the next couple here are the biggest losses that we have to replace as far as production. Uh, let's start with Hassan Haskins. Absolute program favorite. He can go ahead and call himself a Michigan legend now. 270 rush attempts, 1,327 yards, and 20 touchdowns needs to be replaced here. Uh, you might be able to find the production, but you won't find Hassan Haskins growing on trees anywhere. The durability is what you're not going to be able to replace. You can look for it year in and year out. You're never going to find a player as durable as Hassan Haskins at the running back position. So Michigan's going to fill it twofold with the duo of Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards. I think this is going to be an even split of snaps right down there. And then you have Tavier Dunlap moving up to the third spot to kind of help give the room a little bit more there. So there's no replacing Hassan Haskins, but you just have to have a good balance here. There won't be a true workhorse back like he was. No, Blake Corum, I mean, he's a big dude and an absolute gym warrior by all accounts, but can he be an every down back in the Big Ten? Um, he missed some time this year, and if either him or Edwards misses time, which, look, let's just be frank, that always happens. Every year there's a running back that misses some time. The fact that Hassan Haskins didn't, as you alluded to, is what separates him from these guys. So when one of them goes out for a couple games, which inevitably will happen, then I do worry about the depth. Uh, Tavi Dunlap, uh, it's your time. You're going to be asked to, to come in and play some meaningful snaps next year. And this is another place I would look for a like a senior transfer, somebody that can just come in, not to be your starter or even your second guy, or maybe even your third guy, but just to add a little depth here. 
Yeah, I would say as far as like um, compared to corner or defensive tackle, it's my least concern for a transfer. But I'm with you. You always want as much depth as you can get at this position. Yeah, and I mean, we saw it this year because Hassan Haskins was the only healthy back there for a couple games. So it'll come up. It's, uh, you know, one of the hardest hit positions every year by injuries, just the nature of the position. So I'm a little higher on needing a transfer there. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll get by without it. If, but after Tavi Dunlap, the, the talent really drops off a table there. But you have an incredible one-two punch with Corum and Edwards. So that makes me not as worried as some of these other positions. Um, Josh Ross, he is a senior leader, been there for what feels like forever between him and his brother. They've been mainstays. He had a sneaky good year this year. I mean, in coverage, he was a bit of a liability, but an emotional leader and a leader on the field. 106 total tackles. He's our leading tackler. How do we replace Josh Ross on the field, both production-wise and as a leader? As a leader, it's going to be very difficult. We also we don't want to ever gloss over our final two coming up because we lose a lot of leadership on that defense. But losing Josh Ross, you're going to have Junior Colson step up, Nakai Hill Green, Michael Bear will be back there as well. But after those three guys, it gets really thin in the like, as far as middle linebacker could go because Barrett can't play middle, so it's going to be Nakai Hill Green or Junior Colson. I expect it to be Colson. I think though they showed a lot of faith in him. He got burned in the Georgia game pretty bad, but he's a true freshman. He's going to learn. He's going to get better. So I think he steps into that role. You can't fill the void of leadership left by Josh Ross, but starting your sophomore year as the captain of the defense right there in the middle is a good start. You're absolutely right. This is the one that really screams lack of depth when you look at this depth chart. Uh, it really stands out losing Josh Ross here because you're you're relying now on true sophomore junior Colson. Uh, Michael Barrett, very much undersized, but had a, a really good year when he started to play more for Hill Green. Hill Green was absolutely exposed every time he was asked to be in coverage, but played pretty well against the run. Also just a true freshman. So those are your three starters. And then there is uh, approximately, I don't know, maybe 10 snaps beyond that. You've got transfers out over the last couple of years of four stars, Osman Savage, four star Cornell Wheeler, four-star Anthony Solomon, and four-star Kalel Mullings, all transferred out of the program. So this position group has been hit extremely hard, and you're either counting on freshmen or you definitely need to look at transfers in uh, in the transfer portal at the linebacker position, I think. This position more than any other. I'm 100% with you. Need the depth there. Need the experience. Man, I will tell you what, though. I am very high on Jimmy Rolder coming in, the true freshman. I absolutely love this kid's tape. He is a missile really like him. I just got to his tapes, got some Jake Ryan to him. So, you know, I'm all about it. I think he could come in and have, I mean, linebacker is a little bit easier to play guys early on too. You know, we've seen a lot of it. I mean, just last year with Colson and Hill green, but the guy I mentioned that I think is a, a decent comp for him and Jake Ryan also went out there as a true freshman was super impactful. So you're going to see Jimmy Rolder. You're absolutely right. All right. Now, how do you replace David Ojabo? And Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, we saved that one for last because uh, let me just go ahead and uh, and get this right out there. Not exactly a hot take. You don't. Um, it's just you can't replace 25 sacks reliably any year. I don't care who you've got coming up in your program. Um, I will say that Jalen uh, Harrell looks ready made to step in for Ojabo, and I'm pretty high on him. Um, he had some moments, but man, I, after that, there's some guys that we like that you and I are high on. But as far as a drop-off from Aiden Hutchinson to my pick for who takes over, Mike Morris, that's a big drop. It's a big drop. I mean, you don't replace the Heisman runner-up and the best defensive end and best pass rusher in Michigan history. You just don't do it. There's some names in Mike Morris, Upshaw, Braden McGregor, Derek Moore, I mean, maybe a Taylor Upshaw out there as well. There are names, pass rushers coming in. You don't replace them. You're just trying to mitigate the loss as much as you can here. That's all you can do because you're just not going to get that kind of production. There's no one that's shown any type of flashes. Like we knew with Hutch coming back this year, they're like, oh, this guy's going to be really good. There's nobody coming back next year that's a pass rusher that you're like, that guy's a star. Uh, Harrell would probably be my first choice as a guy that could become a star. Um, I think Mike Morris could become like a Chris Wormley type, very reliable, but not necessarily a star. Uh, Braden McGregor would be the obvious choice if you had to pick someone that you think could become that. But there's no indications that he has like the work ethic, the leadership of 
an Aiden Hutchinson. So uh, while we all want him to be like the the bad boy version of Aiden Hutchinson, like, you know, maybe the other side of the tracks, Aiden Hutchinson, I just don't know that he's going to be that. It's very true. And we don't need like the replacements to be the 25 sacks, all the forced fumbles that we could just get 15 between them. That's an outstanding season. And I think Harrell and Morris are capable of that next year, especially with as strong as I feel about the secondary. Yes. And this will be another area that you want to look for a transfer as well. Anywhere on the defensive line, but definitely linebacker. So would you say, uh, would you agree with me? Importance of finding somebody else. It goes linebacker room. Number one, you got to find another linebacker if for no other reason than for depth Uh, defensive end next, maybe or defensive tackle next defensive tackle next. And then I would probably say cornerback third defensive end fourth. I'm with you. And then for me, I think you could use another running back uh, as well. But then other than that, you look at the roster and offensive line. You're good. You don't need to go get anybody quarterback room. You feel good about even after losing Dan Valari, uh, which was unfortunate. We all stand for Valari. Um, wish him well, wherever he goes the next Taysom Hill. So you feel good about a lot of positions. It's definitely the defense where you're like, ooh, getting a little thin there, a little dicey. Yeah, I mean, at the tight end room, you get Scooney and Eric all back, which are probably the most formidable duo in the country. And don't even get me started on the wide receiver room next year. Hoo-wee, that is a good segue. Let's go ahead. Uh, we're not going to go too deep into this. I do not have all the stats up. We can do that later on in the offseason. I just want your initial grade. We're going to go position by position, and we're going to give every position group a grade on the year. You ready? Let's do it. Wide receivers, what do you got it at? I mean, and let's consider here. Obviously, we all know the Ronnie Bell situation, so let's, let's take that into, into context here. I'm going to say the wide receiver room this past year was a solid B. Not a B minus, not a B plus, but losing Ronnie Bell, what they did downfield was great, but it did leave room for a little bit more improvement in 2022. I like that. I was going to go B minus because while they did excellent work in replacing Ronnie Bell and making sure that that wasn't like it, it was obviously it was not an anchor for the team. We still reached great heights this year. Uh, there were times where there was just like you said, a lot of meat left on the bone, a little bit to be desired. AJ Henning, while amazing on end arounds and a great punt returner, really improved as the season went along. Uh, leaves a little bit to be desired as a pass catcher. And CJ, I love you. I, I'm a big Cornelius Johnson guy, but if he's your number one wide receiver, I, I just don't know that you have a very dynamic group. No, but the two names that were my favorites of the room this year, outside of Ronnie Bell, obviously, were Roman Wilson and Mikey Sainer still for very different reasons. But I thought those guys both had a A's of the season. Uh, I will throw Andrell Anthony into that as well. Even though we lost the Michigan State game, we saw that we've got a 6-2 speed demon playmaker wearing the number one with the initials AA on the team. I'm in, sir. I like it. I just need to see a little bit more from him consistently and a little bit more improved upstairs as far as reading coverages. But the potential, my God. Yeah, no doubt. Another place where it's kind of tough to come in and be an instant impact guy because, you know, it, it, it's very difficult on the freshman wide receivers. So, um, yeah, I, we'll go with the B minus B range. I think we're both in agreement there. Let's, let's move into tight ends here. I've got tight ends, especially in the second half of the season. As an A minus, this was a group that we we had Jake Bud on here, who was gracious enough to give us some of his time. Uh, we talked about the first half of the season where they were kind of adjusting to their new roles in this, but as the season went along, you saw more two tight end sets. You saw more of all and Scoodmaker being on the field, as well as Joel Huntingford, a converted tight end, being out there. So while the receiving numbers weren't like elite necessarily the blocking was incredible and they were a huge part of our success this year plus eric all on a snowy day taking down a lion at penn state top three moment i'm gonna go even further and say it's an a because even though they had this slow start luke schoonmaker tied for the team lead in touchdown receptions with three it was that spread out but he and all were a force in the receiving game towards the end of the year they blocked everybody and anybody in sight if you and i got on the field they'd run us over the one-handed catches, the improvements everywhere. I think it was an A. You give them a complete season the way they finished up the season, especially like Ohio State, it's an A-plus, my friend. 
It was a great year. Um, the A minus. I'm just being nitpicky because of the beginning of the season. I have no problem with that grade. That's let's go with the A. I'm with you there. Uh, running back room. Once again, it's going to be so hard to to really ding it. And I'm trying to be objective here. You know, uh, obviously we are homers. That's what we do. But how could it be anything other than like an A minus? Um, and I'm actually I'll go B plus because of maybe some of Quorum's late season uh, fumbles and issues. I'll go B plus. Oh, I can't be a homer. Hassan Haskins broke the single season rushing touchdown. We almost had 2000 yard backs. Donovan Edwards broke the receiving touchdowns, or re- receiving yard catches in a game for a running back. This is an A plus, my friend. What are you thinking? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just trying to I'm like trying to keep us measured, like, and not just out here, you know, patting each other on the back, stroking one another off through the interwebs. You're right. It's an A plus. What am I doing? I have my shirt off over here. here I'm, I'm better than this. blue, and you're giving B pluses and B minuses to the running backs. Yeah, I wish you'd stop tweaking your nipples on the camera, but whatever. <laughs> whatever you got to do, bro. I'm sorry. I thought this was America. <laughs> All right. You're right. It's an A. It's absolutely an A. Um, I don't have any bad things to say. I was just, I'm just looking at nitpick. I don't know why. I'm just trying not to be a homer, but you're right. Uh, offensive line. I think this is another A here. I mean, it, it, given what was expected of the offensive line, um, I'm not going to try and B plus this one, even though the Georgia game was like a C minus of a performance. Uh, we're not, no more B pluses. I don't want to incur your wrath. It's an A. I give it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> this they won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. It's an A plus. They pulverized Ohio State. We didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter. Like no, we finished number three in the country for a GD reason. A plus. Yeah, uh, I'm here with you. I'm sticking with an A because uh, this is <laughs> a little bit lackluster against Georgia, and uh, someone's got to bring us back down to earth over here. But no, you're, you're right, man. It's hard. You're Joe Morrow Award winners. It, how can you really even knock them? Uh, here's one that's finally a little bit interesting, though. Quarterback position. How do you see this one? Oh, man, this one is tough. I'm going to say it was a B minus. It was not average. It was just a little bit above. Not great. At times, especially, you know, there are moments you want a little bit more. But Kate McNamara was above average, slightly. And he handled like the majority of the snaps. So that's where I'm going to leave that one. I like B minus there because of what you said. It is above average. And it's above average because of the lack of turnovers and the fact that we were kept on schedule. We were never really hamstrung by our quarterback this season. So it was like, and, and granted, that's a pretty low bar. We already mentioned the anemic 25 passing touchdown record. So it was a low bar, but we just needed someone to come in and be a game manager. And Cade McNamara is an awesome game manager. So I like B minus. I'm with you there. Yeah, that's the one we're going to have a lot of fun with this offseason, talking about upgrades and a lot of potential future arguments we're going to have there. So I'm really excited for that discourse throughout the slower months here. Yeah, I'm already working on my arguments. This is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be uh, quite quite the debate between those two quarterbacks. Uh, let's move over to the defense then. Uh, cornerbacks, that's another interesting one. Uh, the numbers look good outside of like the Ohio State and the Georgia game. And, and really, a lot of the completions in the Georgia game were on linebackers um, that were just out of position and safeties and stuff like that. The cornerbacks themselves, other than Gray, didn't get picked on too much. Um uh, I can't quite give it like a full on a because of how the season ended and they were great against Ohio state, even though the numbers weren't great, but I'm going to go ahead and give these guys a B like just right around a B. I think the emergence of DJ Turner was huge. I'm high on them coming back next year and two losses and never really being the reason we lost, you know, a game. They were not the reason we lost to Georgia. So it's hard for me to knock them too much. I'm right there with you at the B. I think B is perfect for them until the Georgia game. They're really great at not giving up the big play all season. Sure. Tacklers for the most part, the emergence of DJ Turner. So no, I really like this group. You could even make an argument for a B plus or even higher. If you think about the entire body of work, maybe you want some more turnovers there, but this was a very pleasantly surprising group in 2021. Yeah. You'd like to see a few more turnovers, but as far as just numbers, again, 
defense, they did excellent. Uh, what about the safeties here? Now, I'm a huge, I think we're both probably huge Dax Hill fans, but he really statistically was not as big of an impact guy as maybe you might think for someone that could go first round or, or maybe second round. Uh, Brad Hawkins is just as steady as they come. He's just a long line of Michigan safeties that have been solid, but if not excellent, you know, dating back to Jared Wilson. So this is another interesting group. You know, you got the emergence of Rod Moore. Um, R.J. Moten played a ton. Um, sometimes played really well, sometimes not so much. So I want to give this group, I think, another B here. Could be B minus um, just because you'd like to see a little bit more game changing plays. But when Dax Hill was locked in and we got Rod Moore back there and Moten was kind of playing spot duty, the safety position looked really, really good towards the second half of the season. I'm going to go slightly higher for the safeties than the corners. Maybe uh, a mi- no higher than A minus, B plus. A group is very solid. I love the emergence of Rod Moore and what he did at the end of the season. He and Brad Hawkins being very sure tacklers. Some of the game changing plays Daxil did make, like the hit on Graham Mertz of Wisconsin, the interception against Nebraska that fell to him on the ground, his last minute pass breakup to end that game. So I'll go just higher, right around the A minus range because I like that room. Okay, let's go with a B plus there. I like that. That's fine. I like the room as well. I mean, this isn't a knock. B plus, great grade. Just, you know, you can't say they were like the best best room in the on the defense there. Uh, linebackers, interesting one here. Considering that you had two freshmen playing most of the year and then you had to move Michael Barrett back out there late on in the season, um, I'm very impressed with what they were able to do. That being said, they were the unit that was picked on a lot, especially in coverage. So I can't go crazy high here. Also, not a lot of production as far as sacks either, which I think will change next year. But I'm going to go with a C plus here. I liked what Josh Ross did. He was the leading tackler for freshmen. I really like, especially Colson. I think he's going to be a stud. I think Hill Green showed some flashes. So um, C plus seems like it's a huge knock. It is not. Um, it's it's a good group. It's just kind of you know they were the weak link of the defense. I'm in complete agreement. If you include Ojabo as a linebacker and not just a pass rusher, the group immediately goes to B plus. But we'll just assume put him on the defensive line for this conversation. It was the weak link of the defense. I agree with you. C plus is the answer. If you grade them on the freshman curve, though, I would put them at probably a B plus for Nakai Hill Green and Junior Colson. Yeah, especially Colson there. He looks like he's really going to be a player. So if you're grading him on that curve, you're absolutely right. But uh, I think that feels right for a straight grade there. Uh, and I also agree. Let's keep Ojabo with the, with the defensive ends. Uh, defensive tackles. I'm pretty high on the, on what they did this year. Obviously, this is not a position group that has a ton of stats, nor do you necessarily expect that from your defensive tackles. But they just never were any sort of liability. There was never us cursing Chris Hinton or Mozzie Smith or, you know, wondering like when they were going to show up. They just did their job week in and week out. Um, I'm going to give them an A minus. I just think that this group was not spectacular, but as solid as you could hope for and a huge part of our success. I'm right there with you, A or A minus. They were so good, they were forgotten about. Without them clogging up the middle, Hutchinson and Ojabo could not eat the way they were. So they set the table, Hutchinson and Ojabo ate. And that they did. Yeah, absolutely. So it cannot be uh, overstated just what they they meant to this team. And, and Hinton, I think you're going to notice a drop-off next year. I think it'll be a position group that you remember coming into this, this year, actually, and that's something that we should take into this grade. We said defensive tackles. We were super worried about that group. That was a group we were like, we need to go get transfers. These guys played almost every snap. Exactly. So that's why when we talk about like positions of need for next season, we're, I mean, we're just projecting here. Like we did last season, we were worried about corners and they really stepped up as well in this new scheme. So it's fun to project, but there is no way in any world this is 100% accurate from us. We like, we pat ourselves on the back, but we also admit when we were wrong. No doubt about it. Uh, defensive ends, the easiest one on the team. This is an A+. Plus. Uh, it's defensive ends, and you were so right, running back. What was I thinking? These are your slam dunk A-plus picks. 25 sacks between two players. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Yeah, A-plus for this group. It's a no-brainer. I throw offensive line in there as well for what they did. My God. So there's three slam dunk groups in there. A-A-plus. Don't ever say B-plus to me again. <laughs> Look, I apologize. I hope one day you can forgive me. Maybe if I were to give you some money out of my wallet, that would help to ease the pain. <laughs> Monetary repairment. Well, you know, it'll help there a little bit. Some reparations, but uh, we'll work <laughs> on it when you get back from Argentina. <laughs> 
reparations must be paid. Uh, what do you give special teams? I'm pretty high on the special teams performance this year. Jake Moody wins the Lou Groza first time in Michigan history. AJ Henning was sure handed, had his fair share of mistakes, but nothing costly, explosive. I think it's an A, at least. I mean, Brad Robbins at, at punter was outstanding. So, A, nothing lower. Easy A. You can't go lower than that. AJ Henning was not projected to be the ret- the uh, punt returner this year either. We had to figure that out on the fly, if you remember. And he improved week in and week out. So um, props to him for the improvement. Props for the team being able to adjust on the fly. You get the Lou Groza Award winner, Money Moody, and Moody and Robbins coming back next year. We saw Brad Robbins celebrating with a chair above his head, looking like some sort of drunken Irish goon. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in on the special teams unit. Yeah, Brad Robbins just coming back for his sixth year because he can, because he wants to. That god of a man swinging his chair around violently. I mean, that was all the energy we needed when Greg Crippen took the field, too. It really set the stage. That's what I'm saying. Brad Robbins looks more likely to lead a prison riot than go out and punt for 68 yards, but he can do both. I've seen it. It's what he's doing in the offseason. He's warming that leg up, leading the charge down D block. Let's get it. <laughs> I would not want to run into that guy in the shower room. I mean, no, no, not trying to allude to anything, but I just feel like he's a psychopath. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that one like conversationally or metaphorically. So that's on you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for leaving me on this island. Speaking of being on an island, you and I were the biggest Franz Wagner point god. Uh, guys there were last year we believe that he was a primary creator a la Gordon Hayward Haywood and that was something that uh, we were pretty vocal about and like we said we want to pat ourselves on the back when we are right we were right about this one Franz Wagner looks like a potential rookie of the year candidate he leads the uh, NBA rookies in points and points per game although Cade Cunningham may have just surpassed him last night I need to update these numbers uh we knew Franz Wagner was going to be good, and you and I have a pretty good read on the NBA guys that are going to be good. We were a little off on Jordan Poole, but we said he just needed some time. So so we were right in that sense. It took him a couple years to get to where he's at now. But even you and I couldn't have predicted how good Franz Wagner has been. Have you been able to watch any of this guy's rookie season for the Orlando Magic? A little bit here and there. It's hard to get Magic games where I'm at, and also the Magic are kind of an eyesore of an organization. So... I have caught in a couple games, and it's nice to see Franz really take this leap. I mean, you and I expected big things from him. I don't think either of us were projecting rookie of the year. Maybe he was surpassed by Cade Cunningham in points, but I mean, it's kind of like the price you pay here on a podcast when a Detroit player passes up a Michigan guy. Yeah, I'm not mad about that. If it's going to be somebody passing him, I'm glad it's Cade Cunningham, who is, man, quickly becoming one of my favorite players. But Franz is right there. Now, the report is that he grew two inches his senior year at Michigan and is playing at six foot ten. And he's averaging 15.7 minutes per game um, when uh, Jalen Suggs went down their other pick. He has really started to handle the ball more. And he's basically their primary creator, a six ten creator is some type of a unicorn. And I guess we probably should have just even leaned into our point more about Franz Wagner. But do you see anybody on this current basketball team that you're like, oh, I see it, that dude, even if it's like just as a role player, is there anybody that you see on this team that you're like, okay, I'm sure about it. That guy has a place in the NBA. Musa Diabate, just walking away. Everybody else on this team, I have questions about, but Musa is so raw. I would say uh, one of the, I think it was a Fran Fraschilla quote. He's a year away from being a year away. I think he's like got at least two more years, maybe one more year at Michigan, maybe one year working his way up a roster in the G League. But Musa Diabate is going to be something in the NBA. I'm so with you on that one. 6'10", he can defend, he can shoot a little bit, he can create a little bit. Maybe not necessarily a distributor, but definitely a useful guy on some roster. I I just don't see how he couldn't be. I'm with you, but uh, I think Franz Wagner is going to end up being one of the best NBA players to come through Michigan in a long time. And that's even with what Hardaway and Duncan Robinson have been doing. Just the ceiling on this dude is is unreal. I mean, he's going to be a 6'10", Gordon Haywood. I mean, I would not be surprised to see him averaging 23 points a game you know, for the next decade. And kudos to the nickname given to him by Magic fans, calling him only Franz. 
Ooh, I really like that. I was working around like some different nicknames for him and I was playing around with like the Kraut or like the Deutsch and stuff like that. I just don't know if Kraut is considered offensive, but I mean, it's been a long time since World War II. Hopefully we're past that. I was going to say, cut just the way it just seeped out of your mouth. Like, I don't think you could say that, but he meant it with good intentions, people. I think you can say that. It's a reference to sauerkraut and it's just like kind of a derogatory term that soldiers used for Nazis. 80 something years ago. I think we can take that one back. You go ahead, die on that hill, Alex. James. I don't think I want to. I was I was just kind of testing the waters. <laughs> you uh yeah, you really shot that one back. So all right. I was trying to zag. <laughs> I respect the zags here as I respect you, but only Franz, I think, is here to stay. I think that's the one. I'm with you, man. All right, that's gonna do it for us tonight. Next time we record, I will be in the southern hemisphere. God knows where. Really looking forward to that. And off-season content commences, sir, but uh, what, are you, what are you thinking for this off-season? I've got some ideas. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm thinking maybe a foray into video, some drafts. We're big draft guys. Mixing in some movies, some tangents. We want to hear from the fans. What do you guys want to hear us discuss, debate, anything you want to throw at us? We got months to fill. We got hours to fill. Jared's going to be living in a hut, so we got time. <laughs> yeah, I have time. I'm going to be constructing my home out of Adobe bricks for the next couple of weeks. So once that's up, we'll work on Wi-Fi. We'll get the podcast back and rolling. We're going to be golden, baby. But yeah, I think the foray into video will be the one thing that we can go ahead and tease now. Something we've been wanting to do the last couple of years. I was in school, kind of difficult to make it happen. Now I'm just a traveling nomad. No excuse. I think that uh, there's been some requests, too. That uh, the move into some type of YouTube deal, I don't know what it's going to be yet or how it's going to work, but uh, we're cooking that up. So really excited to make that move at some point here. You guys asked for it and, you know, remember this because we've been told we have voices and faces strictly for podcasting. So us in video, buckle up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. When I tell people I'm a podcaster, they're like, yeah, that's for the best. <laughs> Like it makes a lot of sense. I can see you being a great podcast. You're not on video, right? I always wonder why that follows it up, but I'm beginning to understand. That's all right. Well, we'll turn the lights down low for the videos to as to not offend you with our uh, our marginal looks. But hey, look, I think we're reasonably handsome. So we'll let you guys be the judges of that when we make that move. But super excited for the offseason content, man. It just gives us an opportunity to kind of go off the rails. And as a podcast name, Out of the Blue should be. That's kind of where we like to operate. We live off the rails. I mean, for God's sakes, you're going to live in a tiki hut and make paper mache out of grass. So it makes sense that we're a little out there. Yeah, I'm into it. I can't wait to smoke hashish out of a human skull. It's going to be a wild ride. But uh, this was fun, man. I really enjoyed this podcast and uh, really looking forward to the offseason content. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your content, whether that is Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. You can follow me at JStorm303 at UMAndyB. For Andrew, I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. <laughs>